This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD and TJ. Can you dig that, baby? <laughs> guys, welcome to Rock and Roll, having the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for this ride, as always, is TJ. Oh, hey. Oh, my God, TJ, what a week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was nice. We're recording this early, so we had, like, the long weekend. Weekend, but... Oh, God. <laughs> so... Obligatory. But, but, yeah, so <laughs> when you're hearing this... It is a week, like we're recording this on Monday because the other episode came out on Saturday, which we recorded last Sunday. And so we didn't get to talk about the fun experiences that we had over the 4th of July. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, You know, we live in California, so obligatory we must talk about the, the earthquakes. earthquakes. Quakes, <laughs> plural. Multiple. That was uh, the first one that happened on Thursday was not that bad it it was like obvious like we were oh we're having an earthquake right now we're having this is an earthquake yeah and then it stopped and we're like okay it's good we're fine and that was the fourth of july so the next day and and keep in mind fourth of july at midnight they dropped stranger things so my goal was to wake up early and get to like binge watch the entire series of Stranger Things on the 4th of July because I don't go out on holidays. I don't. There's too many stupid people on the road. And we just kept getting interrupted by earthquakes. I mean, yeah. Because there was the two on the 4th. There was one, one in the morning and then I guess there was one overnight. Yeah, Will said he woke up. We bought, we got a new bed. So yeah. we got this, we got the purple bed. We are not sponsored by purple, but we got the purple bed. And I didn't feel a thing. But Will said he woke up and it was like four, four o'clock in the morning yeah, or something. Yeah, something like four in the morning there was another one. So he said he woke up during that because he, he said that the quake didn't wake him up. He like woke up to use the bathroom or something. And as he was laying in bed, it hit again. But I didn't wake up. And then on Friday, we had the worst earthquake that we've had in 20 years to hit California. It was even worse. It was bigger than the the Northridge. It was bigger than Northridge. Because Northridge was only a six something, six, six seven or something like that. I think it was a six nine. Yeah, and this was a seven point one. That's mm-hmm. insane. That's huge. Like but, they, they actually downgraded it to a six point nine for a minute, but then because it was so big, they upgraded it back to seven point one. Yeah. It's and like, then shoot. But but the thing is that people I think don't realize is that we've done so much retrofitting in California and earthquake preparedness is like a real thing so all my bookshelves and my tv have quake straps we don't hang anything over the bed that will fall on our face and hurt (laughs) (laughs) so our earthquake preparedness was pretty good to start with but so much has changed since 1994 and 1999 to 1989 that our laws are pretty stringent for having to be retrofitted for earthquakes but i felt that one like it made me nauseous yeah, that one was crazy. We were actually out at the time. 
So it was nuts. We're sitting there. Like the guys are, of course, are all standing over in the corner. And then I'm just sitting there at the table. And and I started like kind of getting tweaked and holding on. And they're like, what's going on? Why are people freaking out? And it's like, there's an earthquake. Look at the glasses moving. It's crazy. Well, let's talk about someone else that rocks our world. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to dive into part three of Johnny Cash. We promise that this is the last part of Johnny yeah, Cash. This is the last one. <laughs> and and I promise that next week's episode, I'm trying to edit it to make sure that it's only a one part episode because in the weeks ahead, we actually have some really exciting episodes coming up. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm sorry that uh, Johnny ended up being a three parter, but honestly, I hope you guys are enjoying the story so far just to kind of recap where we're at. Where have we been with Johnny? We've been to Folsom Prison already and San Quentin. We've done a lot of Native American activism. We have done the Johnny Cash television show and his White House performance and all those implications and the political around that. We just finished up in the 80s where his career kind of took a little bit of a nosedive Um, where he really fell off in popularity for a while there in the 80s. Last we left him at the end of part two, he had just checked back in to another alcohol and drug treatment center in his ongoing battle with substance abuse and addiction. Yeah, so we, we come now to the 90s. Oh, the 90s. So much fun. So, yeah, sit back, relax, and enjoy... The wrap-out of uh, Mr. Cash. As I was saying, his career had kind of taken that nosedive in the 80s. But it rejuvenated in the 90s, leading to popularity with an audience which was not traditionally considered interested in country music. In 1988, British post-punk musicians Mark Riley, formerly of The Fall, and John Langford of The the, the Meccans? Sure. Sure. Put together <laughs> put together Till Things Are Brighter, a tribute album featuring mostly British-based indie rock acts, interpretations of Cash songs. Cash was really enthusiastic about the project, telling Langford that it was a morale booster. And that's in quotes. Roseanne Cash later said, quote, He felt a real connection with those musicians and very validated. It was very good for him. He was in his element. He absolutely understood what they were tapping into and loved it. The album attracted press attention on both sides of the Atlantic. In 1991, he sang a version of Man in Black for the Christian punk band One Bad Pig's album Ice Cream Sunday. So, yeah. Clever name. Christian punk band. That he sang a cover of or a version of Man in Black for them. So that's kind of cool. In 1992, he once again started treatment for his dependencies at the Loma Linda Behavioral Medicine Center in Loma Linda, California for his final rehab treatment. Sadly, several months later, his son would follow him to this facility for treatment as well. In 1993, Cash sang The Wanderer on U2's album Zuropa, which was the closing track. And according to Rolling Stone writer Adam Gold, The Wanderer, written for Cash by Bono, quote, defies both the U2 and Cash canons, 
combining rhythmic and textural elements of 90s synth pop with a countrypolitan lament fit for the closing credits of a 70s western, which is appropriate because he was in that western in the 70s. Just a refresher, too, because I think this was in part two. That countrypolitan that I mentioned, that's that branch of the Nashville sound. So that's what they're talking about with the 90s synth pop with a countrypolitan lament kind of feel. So apparently if you hear background noise in the middle of this episode. I have the worst neighbors ever. Someone's having fun, but it's not us. It's not us. I'm so sorry. Back to the story. Although no longer sought after by major labels, he was offered a contract with producer Rick Rubin's American Recordings label, which had recently been rebranded from Deaf American, under which which had recently been rebranded from Deaf American, under which name it was better known for rap and hard rock. So is that like Def Jam? I think probably a either subsidiary or uh, a branch subsidiary. off. Like a branch, I think, of Def Jam. Okay. It's D-E-F? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That seems like an oddly specific name to have for yeah. a record label that isn't Def Jam. Yeah. By this time, it had been rebranded to American Recordings. Under Rubin's supervision, he recorded 1994's American Recordings in his living room, accompanied only by his Martin Dreadnought guitar, one of many Cash played throughout his career. Hey, don't don't laugh at living room recordings. Bobby Fuller did all of his recordings I'm in saying. his living room. We record this podcast in my spare bedroom. Well, yeah. So. Oh, I'm not knocking it at all. I just think it's funny at that level that he's recording in his living room. However, his living room is probably... <laughs> Actually, um, side note, there is a, I'm sure you you know this, being music, you know who Lou Adler is, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So he's, he's a major music producer and his, and he's, his whole family is music. And I was working on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Let's do the time warp again. So the Fox made for TV movie. Right. And they were doing all the recordings at Lou's house. So it's not, it's not so much doing it in their living rooms because at this point, probably in his career, he has the ways and means of doing it correctly. Well, and if it sounds like it was just acoustic with just him and his guitar, so why not? The album featured covers of contemporary artists selected by Rubin, including Down There by the Train by Tom Waits. The album had a great deal of critical and commercial success, so we're turning the career around, back around here in the 90s. It won a Grammy for Best Contemporary Folk Album. Cash wrote that his reception at the 1994 Glastonbury Festival was one of the highlights of his career. This was the beginning of a decade of music industry accolades and commercial success. He teamed up with Brooks and Dunn to contribute Folsom Prison Blues to the AIDS benefit album Red Hot and Country, produced by the Red Hot organization. On the same album, he performed the Bob Dylan favorite Forever Young. Cash was joined by guitarist Kim Thale of Soundgarden, bassist Chris Novoselic of Nirvana, and drummer Sean Kinney of Alice in Chains for a cover of Willie Nelson's Time of the Preacher, featured on the tribute album Twisted Willie, released in 1996. I love that title. In 1996, Cash enlisted the accompaniment of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. We were just talking about Tom Petty. I'll be doing an episode on Tom Petty pretty soon. Yeah, well, yeah, of course we'll do an episode on Tom Petty because... That was a that was a devastating loss as well. That was the year that just no was murderous. It was not. It was not. It was not 2016. It's 2017. Oh, that's right. It was last year because I remember because when he passed yep, that's away two years ago. <laughs> oh my 
my God, it's 2019. It's yeah. 2019, guys. <laughs> and we're almost done oh with it. Oh, my God. It is July of 2000. It's too fast. It's I know. Fast. It's because we're getting old. <sighs> Sadness. Uh, yeah, so anyways, we digress. He worked with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and released the album Unchained, which is also known as American Recordings 2, which won the Best Country Album Grammy in 1998. The album was produced by Rick Rubin with Sylvia Massey engineering and mixing. A majority of Unchained was recorded at Sound City Studios and featured guest appearances by Lindsey Buckingham, Mick Fleetwood, and Marty Stewart. These are... That's not bad company, man. That, I love that, Marty Stewart, actually. That is not bad company. <laughs> I saw I saw Marty Stewart with um, Chris Stapleton a year or so ago, and it was just great. <laughs> it was just great. I was so happy. As a side note, despite the Grammy win, radio didn't really play the releases leading up to it, and American Recordings ran a sarcastic ad in Billboard magazine that read, American Recordings and Johnny Cash would like to acknowledge the Nashville Music Establishment and Country Radio for their support, which led to the popularization, the repopularization of that iconic photo of Johnny flipping the bird, which is kind of funny because it basically was a FU to Billboard or in Billboard. Again, Johnny likes to take out full page Billboard ads. <laughs> To basically say, screw you, when they make him angry. Because I remember when I was in college, dollars to donuts, I could throw a quarter into the cafeteria of my college and hit someone wearing that t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Because it was a big thing. But it was perfect because that's the whole thing. They won the Grammy even though nobody played the music. He did not have the support of the music industry. He did not have the support of the radio so it was just excellent that he once again took to Billboard in a full page ad and put a, oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for your support, which there was none. It's also at this point, too. So he won the Grammy in 1998, but in 97, he believed that he hadn't explained himself enough in the 1975 autobiography, Man in Black. So he wrote a follow up entitled Cash the Autobiography in 97. So fun story, because I told you there's lots of these little side stories and anecdotes and whatnot. Johnny Cash in 97 lent his voice for the season eight, episode nine of The Simpsons. The episode was titled El Viaje Misterioso de Nuestro Homer, The Mysterious Voyage of Homer, and Cash voiced the space coyote that guides Homer Simpson on a spiritual quest. How cool is that? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> is there somebody the Simpsons can't get now at this point? I don't think point? so. I'm pretty sure there's no one they can't get. So also this same year, again, 1997, this is where we're at. Cash was diagnosed with the neurodegenerative disease shy dragger syndrome, which is a form of multiple system atrophy. According to the biographer Robert Hilburn, which I still, I got to find this biography. According to the biographer Robert Hilburn, the disease was originally misdiagnosed as Parkinson's disease, and Cash even announced it to his audience after nearly collapsing on stage in Flint, Michigan on October 25th, 1997. Soon afterwards, his diagnosis was changed to Shy Dragger, and Cash was told that he had about 18 months to live at this point. Mm. The diagnosis was later again altered 
to autonomic autonomic neuropathy associated with diabetes. The illness forced Cash to curtail his touring, and he was hospitalized in 1998 with severe pneumonia, which damaged his lungs. Cash nurtured and defended artists, such as Bob Dylan, on the fringes of what was acceptable in country music, even while serving as the country music establishment's most visible symbol. At an all-star concert which aired in 1999 on TNT, a diverse group of artists paid him tribute, including Dylan, Chris Isaac, Wyclef Jean, Nora Jones, Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, Dom DeLuise, and you too. One of these things doesn't fit. Well, Dom <laughs> DeLuise did his blues stuff. Fair enough, but I, I know him as Itchy from All Dogs Go to Heaven. <laughs> oh my God, I love that movie so much. Cash himself appeared at the end of that concert and performed for the first time in more than a year. Because again, the pneumonia damaged his lungs. Also in 99, he received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. During the last stage of his career, Cash released the albums American 3, Solitary Man in 2000, and American 4, The Man Comes Around in 2002. American 4 included cover songs by several late 20th century rock artists, notably, here it is folks, Hurt by Nine Inch Nails and Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. Hold, hold for one second. Well, I need to step in. Because when the man comes around was actually, that song was introduced to me through a George A. Romero film. It was the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And it was absolutely awesome. It was perfect for that film. So, Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it had the perfect fade in, perfect fade out. It was awesome. And it fit with the theme of the film so well. That's when, you know, like, the filmmakers and the musicians are working in tandem when you said the name and immediately I thought about Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. But, yeah, so those two covers were on there huge for him in the the later stages of his career. So Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, I found an article with him after the the song had been released. And so so he commented... That he was initially skeptical about Cash's plan to cover the song, but was later impressed and moved by the rendition. Which, and I think you can validate this, because I had heard the rumors and the stories that he actually basically relinquished the song to Johnny after his version. Yeah, so I was working at a restaurant, and there's still a couple locations around California, but the specific one used to be on Sunset. And it was called Jinkies. And there's there's one, I think, in Sherman Oaks, Studio City, Thousand Oaks, Gore Hills, and Santa Monica. So you can still find the restaurant. But the specific, the, the, the specific one that I'm talking about was actually on Sunset, which closed down. And there were times where I would work with this host named James, and he would freak out, you know, if a celebrity that he knew came in. And I knew who some of these people were. One was Jessica Alba. Uh, Anne Rice's son, Chris, would come in. There's a great writer named Abby, and she would come in. And so he would kind of, you know, kind of (laughs) get a little weak in the knees. Yeah. And this guy comes in, and he is muscular, black hair, like strong face. I mean, I didn't know who he was at the time. And so I sat him because James was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. Oh, I'm going to freak out on him. And I'm like, why? And he goes, because that's Trent Reznor. And I was like. Oh, okay. Trent Reznor. Great. Sure. I'll take care of him. Sure. I don't care. So I took him menus and 
he would continue to come in. So he's come. So I've built a kind of rapport with him, you know, sitting him, getting his drinks, taking, you know, talking to him, just saying hi. He'd bring his wife in and, you know, when they were having a kid, you know, and so I would get to know Trent, you know, as much as a, a server can, a hostess can. Right. And one day, just for some reason, out of the blue, it just fell out of my mouth. I go, so you're ever going to perform Hurt again? And he's like, it's Johnny's song now. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I've heard this a few times. So more on this interview that I was reading, like, I just wanted you to be able to kind of confirm this. So he elaborated in this interview with Music Radar. And he said, quote, I listened to it and it was very strange. It was this other person inhabiting my most personal song. I'd known where I was when I wrote it. I know what I was thinking about. I know how I felt. Hearing it was like someone kissing your girlfriend. It felt invasive. It was the moving video, though. That that music video is one of the most gut-wrenching, heart-tearing, emotional music videos I've seen in a very long time. And my brother actually sat me down and he was like, I taped this. You have got to see this. This this was before YouTube. And No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. I think I saw it on YouTube. Yeah. This is 2002. YouTube didn't exist in 2002. We barely had internet. But the point is, my brother had taped it on VHS and made me sit down and watch it. And it's it's got him and June Carter in it. Yeah. And their interactions are just... Uh, it's, it's the pain of watching someone that you love fall apart. The part in the video, I think, that gets me the most is when he lifts his cup up. Oh, yeah. And it's shaking and then he pours it. I don't know why, but that image just hits you like a ton of bricks. Well, that's just it. I mean, Reznor knew how he felt when he wrote the song and what he was thinking about and what he wrote it about. But Johnny took that and reinterpreted it and just made it something just incredible. So that was exactly what kind of shifted Reznor's thinking about it. It made it kind of all fall into place for him. He says, quote, it really, really made sense. And I thought, what a powerful piece of art. So it really just kind of changed his mind on it. And he was able to kind of listen with fresh ears and, and take a different perspective on it, which is great. Again, though, this video is incredible. If you have not seen it, YouTube is a thing now. And it's just iconic. Must, must see. Hurt was nominated for six VMAs at the 2003 MTV Video Music Awards. It also received a Grammy Award. So it was nominated for six VMAs. The only VMA the video won was for Best Cinematography. With the video, Johnny Cash became the oldest artist ever nominated for an MTV Video Music Award. Justin Timberlake, who won Best Video that year for Crimea River, said in his acceptance speech, This is a travesty. I demand a recount. My grandfather raised me on Johnny Cash, and I think he deserves this more than any of us in here tonight. And now, sadness. We've come to that part of the program. June Carter Cash died on May 15th, 2003, at the age of 73. I know you're probably like, this episode's about Johnny. Well, yeah, but you can't have Johnny without June. And they like, also say that when you've been together for a really long time, you will literally die of a broken heart. Well, so it's funny you say that. Because? Stop stepping on me. No. <laughs> Sorry. Johnny and June had continued to work, raise their children, create music, and tour together for 35 years. 35 years. That's, I haven't done anything for 35 years except for blink and eat. 
to live. Throughout their marriage, June attempted to keep cash off of amphetamines, often taking his drugs and flushing them down the toilet. June remained with him even throughout his multiple admissions for rehabilitation treatment and years of drug abuse. After June's death, Cash believed that his only reason for living was his music. He died four months after she did. Theirs was a love idealized and idolized throughout their life together and will, will in my opinion, will continue on for many, many generations. Like their, their love story is something that's t- still talked about. I mean, I understand it. It's only been 17 years. Oh, my God. It's been 17 years. Oh, my God. 17 years since he passed away? Yeah. No. 16 years. 16 16 years. years. That's still. still. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jinx, you owe me soda. June had told Cash to keep working, so he continued to record, completing 60 more songs in the last four months of his life, and even performed a few surprise shows at the Carter Family Fold outside of Bristol, Virginia. Now, hold on for a second. What year did he die in? 2003. Okay, so they had both passed away by walk, by the time Walk the Line had come out, because that came out in 2005. Right. I'm having one of those, like, midlife crises where I'm like, oh, my God, it's been 84 years. Ah. At the July 5th, 2003 concert, which was his last public performance, before singing Ring of Fire, Cash read a statement about his late wife that he had written shortly before taking the stage. The spirit of June Carter overshadows me tonight, and I'm going to get choked up. I'm sorry. The spirit of June Carter overshadows me tonight with the love she had for me and the love I have for her. We connect somewhere between here and heaven. She came down for a short visit, I guess, from heaven to visit with me tonight to give me courage and inspiration like she always has. She's never been one for me except courage and inspiration. I thank God for June Carter. I love her with all my heart. That's just so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get choked up a lot, but that one, I was bawling when I read that the first time. So at least I've been a little desensitized to it now, but it still gets me. Cash continued to record until shortly before his death. His final recordings were made on August 21st, 2003, and consisted of Like the 309, which appeared on American 5, 100 Highways, in 2006 that was released in 2006 and the final song he completed engine 143 which was recorded for his son john carter cash for a planned carter family tribute album while being hospitalized at baptist hospital in nashville cash died around 2 a.m central time on september 12th 2003 at the age of 71 less than four months after the death of his wife While the official cause of death was complications from diabetes, again caused by his shy dragger syndrome, the more romantic of us blame it on a broken heart. He was buried next to her in Hendersonville Memory Gardens near his home in Hendersonville, Tennessee. So, but that wasn't all for the man in black. There was a lot after his passing that happened between the release of... American Five and the movie and everything else. So this is all the posthumous. Cash's daughter Roseanne by his first wife Vivian Liberto and his son John Carter Cash by June were notable musicians in their own right. In recognition of his lifelong support of SOS Children's Villages, 
His family invited friends and fans to donate to the Johnny Cash Memorial Fund in his memory. He had a personal link with the SOS Village in, I think it's Dyson? At the Sea Lake in southern Germany, near where he was stationed as a GI. And with the SOS Village in Barrettown by Montego Bay, near his holiday home in Jamaica. Two tribute albums were released shortly before his death. Kindred Spirits contains works from established artists, while Dressed in Black contains work from many lesser-known musicians. In total, he wrote over a thousand songs and released dozens of albums, which this is getting added to my wish list of, like, if ever I have hundreds and hundreds of dollars sitting around. A box set entitled Unearthed was issued posthumously. It included four CDs, or I actually found it vinyl, which is better. I love vinyl. It included four CDs of unreleased material recorded with Ruben, as well as a Best of Cash on American retrospective CD. The set also includes a 104-page book that discusses each track and features one of Cash's final interviews. In 2004, Rolling Stone ranked Cash number 31 on their 100 Greatest Artists of All Time list and number 21 on their 100 Greatest Singers list in 2010. In 2012, Rolling Stone ranked Cash's 1968 live album at Folsom Prison and 1994 studio studio album American Recordings at number 88 and number 366 in its list of the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. In November 2005, the movie Walk the Line was released. It's a biographical film about Cash's life. It was released in the United States to considerable commercial success and critical acclaim. I think it won some Academy Awards, didn't it? Yep, I'm working on that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'll sit back. Uh, The film featured Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny, for which he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor, and Reese Witherspoon as June, for which she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. Phoenix and Witherspoon also won the Golden Globe, both for Best Actor and Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. They both performed their own vocals in the film, with their version of Jackson being released as a single. And Phoenix attended a rock and roll boot camp to learn to play guitar for the role. Because as many of you might remember from the River Phoenix episode, he can already sing. But he did like go into fine tune and learn guitar. So he did a boot camp <laughs> to be able to emulate Johnny Cash. But Johnny Cash has got such a distinct voice. Oh, yeah. And I feel like Joaquin did a pretty good job. Oh, of, he really of did. Of the vocals. I don't know who else could have done better. Nobody. But, and I thought, <laughs> and like Reese Witherspoon, you watch her and she just has this charm about her. And so I I knew less about June than I did about Johnny. And so, you know, for me it was like, oh, that's serviceable. But there's a charm that, that Reese Witherspoon has on screen that you're just like, I like her. I feel like I would like her. Well, just and like that's, in real life. Yeah. I think that's the thing with June too is that she was probably just one of those people yeah um yeah um phoenix did end up receiving a grammy award for his contributions to the soundtrack and john carter cash again the son of johnny and june served as an executive producer on the project 
However, despite critical acclaim, Johnny Cash's daughter, Kathy Cash, was so upset at the portrayal of her mother and Cash's first wife, Vivian Liberto, that she walked out of the screening given to the family. She said that the film's depiction of her mother was not true and explained, quote, my mom was basically a non-entity in the entire film except for the mad little psycho who hated his career. According to BBC News, she added, she loved his career and was proud of him until he started taking drugs and stopped coming home. Kathy Cash also complained that the biopic failed to show the singer's children and their suffering during their parents' divorce and their father's fight with drugs. However, she praised the performances of Joaquin Phoenix as Cash and Reese Witherspoon as June. Now, the thing is, you can't put everything into a movie. You can't put 70-some-odd years of a life onto film. So, yeah, exactly. So John... John responded to this kind of in a similar way. Um, as the film's executive producer, he admitted that the merit or he admitted the merit of he admitted the merit of Kathy's criticisms, saying, I'm compassionately understanding. The point of the film is my parents' love affair. So that was the whole thing, is that yeah, he touches on Johnny's life and June's life and their life together. But that was the point of the film was their love story. It wasn't a full overview of everybody's life. And I know we're, we're going to touch on this on one of our short sets because we're going to be doing movie biopics of musicians, kind of covering them all. But the thing is, there's a good and bad that comes with one of the family members being on board or one of the band members being on board kind of saw the same thing i'm pretty sure you still haven't watched it even though i gave it to you <laughs> weeks ago but with bohemian rhapsody yeah i i loved bohemian rhapsody for what it showed but you can't shy away from certain things and i feel like when it comes to biopics they kind of tiptoe around the things that might make them look bad right whereas if you have kind of an unauthorized biopic that's just like a screenwriter, then they might show the dirty side way too much and not be the truth. Uh, you get something closer to the truth when a, ba a band member or family member is doing the biopic. Well, and that's just it. I mean, but you can't. You can't show everything. And there, in some of these stories, there are going to be people that get upset about it, about how they're portrayed or about what is or is not included, you know, I think he responded perfectly by saying, I, I completely understand. I'm compassionate to the situation. This was the story I was trying to tell. You know, so. Yeah, and corners do get cut. Well, that's just it. Otherwise, you end up having a 70-year movie. Yeah. So I'm supposed to watch someone else's life for my entire life. Yes. Wait. I just blew my Maybe not mind. a 70-year movie because montages. But, like, <laughs> but it would definitely be much longer. quite lengthy. It probably would have to be at least four hours. It'd be like a miniseries. <gasps> there you go. John Carter Cash. Do a miniseries. Yeah, he already did Walk the Line. And I that know. was good. It was a great movie. So. It was a good movie. I cried. It I did cry. Great. On March 12, 2006, Ring of Fire, a jukebox musical of the Cash catalog, debuted on Broadway at the Ethel Barrymore Theater 
but closed due to harsh reviews and disappointing sales on April 30th. Well, the Million Dollar Quartet debuted on April 11th, 2010, and that was a new musical portraying the early Sun recording sessions involving Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and, and Carl Perkins. So that one, I guess, did better. Actor Lance Guest portrayed Cash. The musical was nominated for three awards at the 2010 Tony Awards and won Best Performance by Featured Actor in a Play with Levi Kreis for his portrayal of Jerry Lee Lewis. So significantly better than the first Johnny Cash one. One of Cash's final collaborations with producer Rick Rubin, American Five, 100 Highways, was as I mentioned earlier, released posthumously on July 4th, 2006. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard Top 200 album chart for the week ending July 22nd, 2006. On February 23rd, 2010, three days before what would have been Cash's 78th birthday, the Cash family, Rick Rubin, and Lost Highway Records released his second posthumous record entitled American Six, Ain't No Grave. The main street in Hendersonville, Tennessee, Highway 31E is known as Johnny Cash Parkway now. The Yay. Johnny... <laughs> huh? I love I love that. Oh, yeah. The Johnny Cash Museum, which was actually located in one of his properties in Hendersonville until 2006, dubbed the House of Cash, was sold based on Cash's will and purchased by the Bee Gees vocalist Barry Gibb and wife Linda for $2.3 million. If you had had me to guess who had bought it, that would be the last person. Right? <laughs> I would not have imagined that, but they did. Oh, so the, the guys from, you know, the Disco the Kings. the Bee Gees, sure. The Bee Gees. Yeah, he bought it. Everybody what? loved Johnny Cash. Come on. Wow. Everybody loved Cash. Prior to them buying it, it had been closed for a number of years, and the museum had been, this is great because it comes back to Hurt. So the house in Hurt was the museum slash house of cash. Really? Yeah. Huh. Fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact. Unfortunately, <laughs> oh, no. on April 10th, 2007, during major renovation works carried out for Gibb, a fire broke out at the house, spreading quickly due to flammable wood preservative that had been used. The building was completely destroyed. A new museum, founded by Shannon and Bill Miller, opened April 26th, my birthday, 2013, in downtown Nashville. Which I didn't go through it because I didn't have time the day that I stopped by. But I did visit it and walk past it a lot. On November 2nd through 4th, 2007, the Johnny Cash Flower Pickin' Festival was held in Starkville, Mississippi, where Cash had been arrested more than 40 years earlier and held overnight at the city jail on May 11th, 1965. You may remember that story from part, I think, part one. The incident inspired Cash to write the song Starkville City Jail, and the festival, where he was offered a symbolic posthumous pardon, honored Cash's life and music, and was expected to become an annual event. JC Unit 1, Johnny Cash's private tour bus from 1980 until 2003, was put on exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum in Cleveland, Ohio in 2007. The museum offers public tours of the bus on a seasonal basis. It is stored during the winter and not exhibited at those times. Which, I just think that sounds really cool. I want to go tour Johnny Cash's tour bus. That'd be fun. 
A limited edition forever stamp honoring Cash went on sale June 5, 2013. The stamp features a promotional picture of Cash taken around the 1963 release of Ring of Fire, the best of Johnny Cash. The Undertaker. And this I love. This is a kind of a funny story. It's not funny. Haha. It's kind of funny. Ironic. Interesting. Potentially intentional. I'm not. I don't know. But The Undertaker used Cash's version of Ain't No Grave at WrestleMania 22, no, 27, (laughs) as his entrance theme. What I love about this, because remember before he was dubbed the Man in Black, they used to tease him and call him the Undertaker in his early career because of his black clothing. (laughs) So I don't know if this is intentional. I love it regardless. So there you go. I thought it was amusing anyways. Random wrestling fact. Yeah. Like I say, I had fun finding little fun facts to lighten up some of this stuff, too. Robert Hilburn comes up again. So this is about that biography that he wrote that I I have to buy it. I have to. Robert Hilburn, who was a veteran Los Angeles Times pop music critic, accompanied Cash in his 1968 Folsom Prison Tour and interviewed Cash many times throughout his life, including the months before his death. So he published a 688-page biography with 16 pages of photographs in 2013 entitled Johnny Cash, The Life. The meticulously reported biography is said to have filled in the 80% of Cash's life that was previously unknown, including details about Cash's battles with addiction and infidelity. Now, don't get mad at me. This is public knowledge. It's out in the world. The book reportedly does not hold back any details about the darker side of Johnny Cash and includes details about an affair with his pregnant wife, June Carter's sister. So when June was pregnant with John, he apparently had an affair with June's sister. So instead of getting angry at this, I'm going to tell you guys to go listen to a podcast called Confronting O.J. Simpson, which is a very riveting podcast from the perspective of Kim Goldman, brother of Ron Goldman. And this is now how I channel my anger. Well, that seemed very aggressive. Like I say, I'm not trying to make anybody angry. I'm just honestly reporting what I found. On October 14th, 2014, the city of Folsom unveiled phase one of the Johnny Cash Trail to the public with a dedication and a ribbon cutting ceremony attended by Roseanne Cash. Phase four will be called Endgame. It's a Marvel joke. Because <laughs> no. they're, all, they're all in no. phases. They're all in phases. Don't you nerd up my Johnny Cash, all right? <laughs> Take that nerd over there. (laughs) Along the trail, eight larger-than-life public art pieces will tell the story of Johnny Cash, his connection to Folsom Prison, and his epic musical career. The Johnny Cash Trail features art selected by a committee that included Cindy Cash, one of his daughters from his first wife, a two-acre legacy park, and over three miles of multi-use Class 1 bike trail. The artists responsible for the sculptures are Sacramento-based Romo Studios, LLC, and the fine art studio of Rotblat Amrani. You want to try to say that again? Nope, I don't. (laughs) So this one's kind of a little fun story. This is a little fun fact, more than actual thing. In 2015, a new species of black tarantula was identified near Folsom Prison and named, and I'm going to butcher this, but here we go. And named Afinopelma Johnny Cashy in his honor. <laughs> I 
That is awesome. In 2016, the Nashville Sounds minor league baseball team added the Country Legends race to its between innings entertainment. At the middle of the fifth inning, people in oversized foam caricature costumes depicting Cash, as well as George Jones, Reba McIntyre, and Dolly Parton race around the warning track at First Tennessee Park from center field to the home plate side of the first base dugout. <laughs> How funny is that? That is awesome. That is so awesome. Like, what? <laughs> Who comes up with this stuff? Seriously. The Johnny Cash Heritage Festival was held in Dias, Arkansas on October 19th through 21st, 2017. It will build on the music festival held for four years on the Arkansas State University campus in Jonesboro. The festival honors Johnny Cash and explores the New Deal programs that shaped his childhood in Dias. The festival includes a concert in the field adjacent to the Cash home and Arkansas Roots music in the Colony Circle. On February 8th, 2018... The album Forever Words was announced, putting music to poems that Johnny Cash had written and which were published in book form in 2016. Which, that's kind of a cool idea. I like that. Yeah. Like taking his poems and just finishing them into songs. Cash's boyhood home in Dias was listed in the National Register of Historic Places on May 2nd, 2018 as Farm Number 266 Johnny Cash Boyhood Home. Which, that's cool. I wouldn't mind driving past there, just seeing it. I know that it's been long run, kind of run down, but like the, the cabin itself is still there. The home yeah. is still there, but, but the it's barn protected and everything now. is gone. It's protected now. So they have to keep it up. That's be- true. Because it's on the National Registry of Historic Places. They cannot alter anything. The land cannot be sold. It is protected. The Arkansas Country Music Awards... Honor Johnny Cash's legacy with the Lifetime Achievement Award on June 3rd, 2018. The ceremony was held that same date, which was a Monday night at the University of Arkansas at Little Rockin' Little Rock, Arkansas. What? (laughs) You wrote it. I know. I copy-pasted it, let's be honest. (laughs) The nominations took place in early 2018. That's a weird one. You may have to cut that out. I read it. And I read it exactly as it appears. Okay. In 2019, I like this one because I love her. In 2019, Cheryl Crow released a duet with Cash on her song Redemption Day for her final album, Threads. Crow, who had originally written and recorded the song in 96, recorded new vocals and added them to those of Cash, who recorded the song for his American Six Ain't No Grave album. I do love Sheryl Crow, but wait, is that her final album? That's what it said. Oh, no. Sheryl she Crow. may be done. Keep making music. I hope she's not. I hope it's one of those, oh, this is my last album. I need a break. I'm done. And then in a couple of years, because it's just you don't just turn it off when she's written a bunch more songs. She's like, oh, yeah, let's get back out there. Oh, man, because I really do. I really I, do like her. I like Sheryl Crow a lot. Me too. So this, I cannot wait, and I hope. Somebody grabs it and puts it up somewhere because I need to see it. And I was not at Sundance. A new documentary directed by Tom Zimney titled The Gift, The Journey of Johnny Cash made its debut. Oh, sorry. Not not Sundance. South by Southwest. Yes. At the South by Southwest Film Festival in March of this year. 
the film had the full support of the Cash estate. And according to a statement from the filmmakers, the project explores Cash's music and biography through the iconic Folsom Prison concert, which formed the basis of the multi-million selling LP Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. So kind of cool. Like it tells his story through that concert. Throughout his career, Cash received multiple awards from CMAs, Grammys, and many others in categories ranging from vocal and spoken performances to album notes and videos, like liner notes in the albums. It's crazy. In a career that spanned almost five decades, during which he rose to recording industry icon status, Cash was the personification of country music to many people around the world. Cash was a musician who was not defined by a single genre. He recorded songs that could be considered rock and roll, blues, rockabilly, folk, and gospel, and exerted an influence on each of those genres. His diversity was evidenced by his presence in five major music halls of fame. The Nashville Songwriter Hall of Fame induction 1977, the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1980, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1992, GMA's Gospel Music Hall of Fame in 2010, and the Memphis Music Hall of Fame in 2013. Cash was the only country music artist inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a performer, unlike the other country members who were inducted as early influencers. Yeah, and Johnny Cash actually has a, a star on the Walk of Fame, which you can find at 6320 Hollywood Boulevard. So the way it looks like, it's near the Hollywood Wax Museum. Not Madame Tussauds. Yeah, the other no, one. the other one. There's like... They're within a block of each other. Yeah. His contributions to the genre have been recognized by the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. Cash received Kennedy Center honors in 1996 and stated that his induction into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1980 was his greatest professional achievement. And finally, in 2001, he was awarded the National Medal of Arts. And I know I kind of bounced around a little bit in that last wrap-up because things bounce, like, kind of want to lump like things together. So the dates bounce around a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, he had an incredible life. This obviously is not everything, but I tried to find what I felt would be interesting. Go check some more stuff out. Share stories with us. It'll be fun. One more thing that I did find, and I didn't end up putting the information into the episode because it is more interviews at a tribute concert that they had for him after his passing. The kids didn't want to do a public funeral because they had done that for their mom and it was just too soon. They couldn't go through all that again with the public funeral and the public services and stuff. So they had a private service and then a few months after had a tribute concert where they had friends throughout his career, people that were inspired, that were influenced by him come out and play. And so I found a great little article that detailed out a couple little interviews that people gave telling stories about Johnny Cash and like little anecdote stories of him, which there's one from Kid Rock that was kind of funny and that I would definitely, if you're interested, go take a look. We'll probably post the link up on our Facebook, Twitter, all that. That was at cmt.com. And the article was behind the footlights at the cash tribute. 
Which is funny <laughs> because he broke out the footlights yes. at the Grand Old Opry. Yes. Well, I think that this tribute concert was held at the Opry for him. Oh. Full so circle. that was kind of cool. Um, I hope you enjoyed because I definitely had a fun time researching. I I enjoyed it because I my brother is a major influence in my life when it comes to music. And he introduced me to Johnny Cash when I was fairly young. And so I I would say mid-80s. So when he was kind of on his like downturn, my brother sort of introduced me to Cash. And with the film coming out, Walk the Line and, and things like that, I knew some things about him, but I didn't realize how much of an activist he was. I didn't realize how political he was. And oh, I so had no this idea. Was, this was an eye-opener. So... I think you did an excellent job. And there was a reason why it was three parts, because there's so yeah. many interesting things that went into his life that people might not know about. And so I really liked that. And sorry about that, guys. I mean, I hope I held your attention because I did try to keep it interesting. The The fact that we split the second part into two parts. I'm sorry. <laughs> kind of all... threw us by surprise, threw us off a little bit. But, you know, it was better than giving you two, like, two-hour episodes. <laughs> Sorry we went all Hunger Games on you in the last part where we yeah. just separated the last book into two. Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, like I say, I didn't know I didn't know some of this stuff about him and you know, I mean, I knew the stuff that everybody knows and that's kind of, like I said in the very beginning in part one, that's kind of why I picked the stories and the parts that I did pick to focus on because I feel like that is the stuff that isn't really touted a lot it isn't really talked about a lot as part of who he was and so it was really interesting to me to, to learn it so I really wanted to just share that on I had a great time so thank you well I'm glad <laughs> so thank you guys so much for checking this episode out check us out next week where I take over and do Sam Cook I'm Super excited to do Sam Cook. Yeah, I need a break now. I've done three in a three in a row. I'm I need a break. Don't worry, I'm doing two in a row in like two weeks. So well, there you go. It's cool. So thank you guys so much for checking out this episode. Please make sure to check out next week's episode where I take on Sam Cook, and I have learned so much about Sam in my research that I'm really excited to bring this episode to you guys. But Tracy did an amazing job these last three weeks, I think. So you should be applauded because, I mean, that that <laughs> was great. So if you'd like to help us out at the show, you can find us at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. Our Facebook is rock and roll heaven pod. Instagram rock and roll heaven LT. Still not saying the website. And you can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And... That about wraps this episode up. So thank you so much for listening. Keep rocking in the free world. Tracy. Yeah. Are you hungry? I'm too hungry. Let's go feed you. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole 
the old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you hurt I wear this crown of thorns Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here what have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end, and you could have it all, my empire of dirt. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.